Isaiah chapter 9, if you have your Bibles this morning. I uh, want to minister just for a few minutes on the birthright of Jesus Christ. The birthright of Jesus. King Charles just took over the throne of England. Many of you know Elizabeth had reigned. I think she was the, in history, she may have been the longest reigning monarch ever. As far as recorded history. And so her son just took over. And it he... Questionable character, questionable uh, number of things about him. But what's very interesting is that it was his by birthright. And he's got some brothers. uh, He's got some others that are there. And uh, I I was wondering if the queen was going to just kind of bypass him and go to William. Because William actually seems like he's got a better handle of life than his dad. But nevertheless, Charles became king. It's his birthright. In the prophecy we're going to read, it's a very interesting prophecy. There's a backslidden king. This king is not serving God, although he's the king of Israel. And Isaiah comes and he's prophesying to him. And he's telling him some things that are going to happen. In Isaiah 9 and verse 2, this is in our text, but I just want to bring it out. He brings out that a people who walked in darkness shall see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. God is, is Isaiah's prophesying to this king. He's not just giving him a solution for the moment, which is what the king wanted. He's prophesying about the coming Messiah. And there's five attributes we're going to look at in this text. It, it will, this text ends up on lots of Christmas cards and such. And I believe like Christmas carols, we can miss the meaning of the words that are actually being used there by the prophet. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government will have, uh, will, uh, will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment, the passionate commitment of the Lord will, uh, Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. I want to talk to you about these five titles briefly about Jesus because they're very fascinating to understand his character and who he came to be. The first one it says, he will be wonderful. Now, to us, that word wonderful means something exciting, something that we like, something that brings us pleasure. Wow, did you have a good time? Yeah, it was wonderful, right? We went to, we went to, to a sea breeze or whatever, and it was wonderful. We went, you know, we, I had this meal and it was wonderful. It was pleasurable. This is how we mean the word, but very interesting. The word literally means in the Hebrew, a miracle or a marvelous thing. It has to do with the thought of awe. That he'll be wonder, he'll be awesome. Would be a, a modern day understanding of this. Funny story, true story. Preacher was preaching in Poland. 
And he was trying to say that we're all miracles. And in the Polish language, the word for miracle and the word for wonderful are the same word. And so when he's trying to say that we're all miracles, it's coming out we're all wonderful. And so the sermon kind of lost because he tried to explain it a a half a dozen times and realized that's going to take forever with the translator. And so, but this is the same thought in Hebrew. This word derives to literally make distinguished or to make great, to be filled with greatness or to be wonderful or awesome. That Jesus is awesome. Now, to some, he's simply a swear word. They'll stub their toe, hit their hammer, and they will use his name in vain. To him, to some, that's all he is. He's just a swear. He's just a person of history. Probably the second most name that's used in vain would be Albert Einstein. When somebody does something stupid, right? (laughs) Good move, Einstein. You know, we use that. Jesus far surpasses that. So we can tell right away who he is to you. Is he awesome or is he simply a curse word? Jesus being wonderful, you think about his ministry. He came and did miracles. He came and brought the re- and redeemed humanity. He's bought us out of sin and slavery. He heals. He touches. This began to be the reputation of his ministry. That when they heard he would heal, when he heard he could turn food and feed multitude, when he would touch people, they began to follow him in great numbers. Because they were fascinated that he was wonderful. In the Old Testament, when Jesus showed up one time, in Judges thirteen eighteen, it says, Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied. The angel of the Lord is Jesus before he was in his fleshly form. And it's, he said, It is too wonderful for you to understand. This is the same word. It says, If we could grasp Jesus and his name, it's, it's awesome. That's the God that we serve. Psalms 98 verse 1, sing a new song to the Lord for he has done wonderful deeds and his right hand has won the mighty victory and his holy arm has shown his saving power. Peter preaching and he says, don't you know that Jesus doing wonderful signs in Acts chapter 2 And brings out the understanding he really uh, is a wonderful God. That's part of the God that we serve. He's still able to do miracles. Whatever you need. We're going into a new year. People will make New Year's resolutions. But it is also a time to take evaluation of our lives. We do this. We have to do this for tax purposes. Many of us do it because it is a good time to mark a change that we do this, God can give us a miracle. The second name he uses here is the word counselor. This speaks of, uh, denotes one of an honorable rank. It's not just simply someone who gives advice. Everyone gives advice. Strangers in Home Depot will give you advice. Right? People have, people have lots of advice to give. Some of it's good, some of it's not. 
My my wife recently had uh, she looked something up on the internet, and I said, "Well, are you going to you know do this or not?" And she said, "Well, I don't know. Some say it's good. Some say it's bad." It's like everybody's got advice, and, and so the internet's not a good counselor because you're going to get a hundred different things, a uh, hundred different answers. But here this denotes one who would stand near princess and be an advisor. It would come from excessive wisdom, great wisdom, and qualifications to guide in situations. If there's anything we can trust God with is that he is really, 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 really smart. And he knows what's better for your life than you do. This is amazing, Mark, as people then want to take their lives and and say, well, I know better. And then they spend the next uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years screwing it up. Then they blame God for that. Well, why didn't God help me? Because you didn't do what he said. If he gave you directions to go to, uh, if you asked for directions, I want to get to Victor. And they say, okay, get on 490 and head east. And you proceed to go to 590 and head north. And then go, why didn't I end up in Victor? That didn't work out well. Well, because you didn't follow his directions. Hello? And people do this. They blame God for their lives when they think, well, he should have helped me. He should have done. You weren't following his counsel. He's the counselor. He's, he'll, he's, he's worthy. You can trust him with your life. That's what this is saying. You can trust him that he will give you the directions that you need in life. To get where you need to be. where Some people would say, well, I can't get where I want to be. No, but you probably aren't really going to be rich, young, and have all the attributes forever anyway. Even if you get them, you won't keep them. Psalm 73, 24, you guide me with your counsel, lead me to a glorious destiny. Christ has prepared a place and a purpose for you. This child that is born to us has been given so that you and I can know which way to go in life. And it's much better when we follow God's plan. It'll actually turn out much better for us. Psalm 16 verse 7, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart in... uh, My heart instructs me. God is faithful. He'll deal with you. You ever had God deal with you? Even you just lay in bed and it's like, oh gosh, I got to do that. Or I should stop doing that. Or I need to. God is faithful. He will speak. He will deal with us. It is part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.3 In him is, uh, in him lies hidden All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That Jesus really does know what he's doing. Unto us a child is born, and one of his terms will be, he'll be the mighty, mighty God. Mighty, this implies a warrior, a fighter, 
a champion, a chief. The term mighty God is actually used nine times in the Bible. And it's the understanding that our God is not weak. If your God is too weak for your situations, then you're not serving Jesus. He's he's the mighty God. The term God, of course, that implies superiority or supernatural. The societies that were of Jesus' day and of Isaiah's day other than Judaism were all multi or pluralistic God societies. I think he, the uh, Hindus have, I think it's three million gods. Three million gods. The Egyptians had many. The Romans and the uh, 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 Greeks, we still kind of honor their gods. If you know, our, the days of our week are named after the gods of, I think those are the Roman god, or the, uh, the uh, Greek gods, and then our Roman gods are our months that we still have. Except for the last four, which is a whole nother sermon. And I won't confuse you this morning because it is Christmas. Has to do with a superior than human. And he says, this is not a mighty God, the mighty God. He's able to do and fight. The word... Titus puts it this way, Titus 2, verse 13, Paul writes and says, While we look forward to the hope that is wonderful, uh, to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. That word great is where we get the Greek word mega. Right? It's used a lot in lotteries. Mega ball, mega whatever. Mega stupid, but that's another, again, another sermon. But mega, large, the thought there of that we don't serve a God who's weak or helpless, but a mighty fighter. Our God's fighting for you right now. He knows what's going to come. There's temptations that are going to come your way. He's fighting for you. He's going to make a way of escape that you don't have to sin. There's spiritual battles that we don't even understand that are going on around us. That he's fighting for us. Putting out there Deuteronomy ten seventeen for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. That's the God we serve. The Lord of lords, the King of kings. He's awesome. He's fighting for you. Right now, there's others here that you're going to find next year. You're going to step into something because, and you're going to look back and go, wow, God, God was fighting for me for that. He's making a way. I didn't even see it. He is also going to be called the everlasting father. This had to do with the man, of course, everlasting, abiding forever. And the thought of father literally had to do with the 
place of authority, the head of the family. The thought of those who care, the one who would discipline, but also the one who would heal, the father. Jesus is eternal. We're all going to live forever. Do you know that eternal life, Jesus gives us eternal life, but we're all going to live forever. It's only those who have the life that get to go to heaven. We're all going to live forever. The Father gives it. He is the Father, the eternal Father, the one that is going to be preeminent. The, uh, John uses terms like Alpha and Omega. And most of us know what that means. It's actually the A to the Z. It's the Greek alphabet. He would say he's the A to the Z. This would be the understanding of he is the complete package. There is nothing lacking in him. This is the thought of the everlasting father. John eight fifty eight. Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born... I am. To the Jew, they understood that totally. He was making himself to be the one that was speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. This is why they wanted to kill him at that moment. Uh, you know, and he says it again when the soldiers come looking for him. says, we're looking for Jesus. I am. And they fall down. Then they get back up and they arrest him, which is like a head scratcher, isn't it? People ask me questions, you know, out of the Bible sometimes, like, big question. Uh, Yanni just asked me, you know, who, Mark, who, who's, the, who's the naked kid who ran through? Why is that only mentioned there, and who is that? Because it was Mark. He was writing about himself. And it is a curiosity, like, what does this even have to do with the, the <laughs> crucifixion story? But Mark writes and puts himself in there. People ask, you know, why in John, when Jesus says... I am, the guards fall down, they get back up, they then ask the same question and arrest him. You would think, <laughs> I would have 500 other things to do at that moment now. But they still go on their way and do what they were going to do. Hebrews tells us these words, Hebrews 1, 8 through 12. But to the Son say, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your rule with a scepter of justice. Your, uh, you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out oil of joy on you more than anyone else. He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and made heaven with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothes, but you will fold them up like a cloak. Discard them like an old clothing, because you are always the same. You will live forever. Now that's deep theology, and people read that, and they just kind of blow by it, and they don't give a lot of thought that here the promise is Jesus lives forever. He's eternal. He's beyond our comprehension. His final title is the Prince of Peace. And it's funny, this is the only, uh, this is, is the only place that the title is used, Prince of Peace. 
although it is known quite associated with Jesus, it's only used in this one scripture. And even though it shows him as a warrior in our mighty God, he's also not for conflict. He's for peace. Jesus came so that you and I can have a relationship and be with peace with him and our God. Our sin separates us from God. That's what sin does. Sin is not just make you a little weaker or a little less effective for God. It separates you from God. Jesus came to bring back peace. Luke 2.14, this is the angels, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. God wants to bring peace. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit between verses 12 and 14. Said that there was a wall, a partition that stood between us and God. Us and the promises of God. And it was through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ making a way that you and I who were afar off can be brought in with those of the covenant, both Jews and Gentiles. And it says that for Christ himself has brought peace to us. The Prince of Peace does not have to do... The world is full of conflict. Why? Because people are selfish. Whether you want to look at the war in the Ukraine or any marriage, the conflicts in the world are because people are selfish. As a pastor, I counsel marriages. The first thing I'll tell people, there's three statements I'll always make when I counsel marriage. One is... Counseling is free. Refereeing is $75 an hour minimum charge, two hours. If all we're here is to count points, not interested. Second is I have yet to meet a marriage where one is the total 100% victim and the other one is 100% guilty. Usually there's... It's somewhere in the middle. And thirdly, marriage is two selfish people trying to learn to live together. Pastor Mitchell used to say that all the time. The reason I do that is because I, you know, we're going to try to fix a conflict, not try to count who's, who's more right. But the other picture of that is that this is what we do in life. Well, I'm not as bad as him or her or them. Yeah, but you're not as good as Jesus was, and so we've all failed. He's come so that you and I can be reconciled. One of the compound names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. And the peace that God wants to bring to you and I is a peace of understanding his character and how he's going to help us. Be reconciled to God. This text focuses around the thought of his government. 
his government. Say it, our text starts with the under, with the statement that the, the, his government will be on his shoulders. It goes on to say in verse 7, the government and its peace will never end. That he'll take on his throne of his ancestor David, his father or his lineage. And if you look, Matthew and Luke both record the lineage of Jesus. One from Joseph's side, one from Mary's side. And how it connects back to King David. But his government... His government is now, and his government will be. His government is now in the sense that he has established his kingdom on the earth. What is his kingdom? It's not a national border. It's a people. It's a people carved out of every tongue, language, tribe, nation of the earth. That this is who God is touching. His kingdom has to do with people of all ages, incomes, education, skin colors, and languages. He's carving out his kingdom on the earth. And we are blessed to be a part of it. Jesus spoke a great deal about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13, he tells eight different parables. The kingdom of God is likened to It was so ingrained in the disciples' minds that when Jesus had resurrected from the dead, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And Jesus said, no, that's for a different time. That's the Father's got that in his hands. What you need to do is go preach the gospel. The kingdom was such a mark of Jesus' ministry The understanding of that. Kingdom in our mind would would revolve around three things. It would revolve around a people, a leader, and a land. We are the people. If you're saved, born again, Jesus is our king. It revolves around a leader. Of course, it's Jesus and his laws, his dictates. And our land, as Jesus told Pilate, it's not here. I thank God. I thank God I was born in the United States. The United States of America is the greatest country on the planet. It has its problems. But I've seen a few of the others, and I'll tell you what, I like it. I'm not crazy about the two-party system. But I have seen the 17-party system. And that's a greater disaster. The coalition governments that were formed, Lithuania had 16 years, had 15 governments. Because these coalitions would form and they would break down and they would re-vote and they would get, you know, and as one reporter said, you'd shuffle the deck and get dealt the same hand and would be in the same place and they would last for a little while, break down again, they'd have another snap election and all that. You know what? Our system may not be great, but it's, at least it works. At least there's stability. But it's nothing compared to Christ's kingdom. It's very stable. He's king. 
Acts 7 verses 56 and 50, 55 and 56, but Stephen, filled of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's, he's about to be killed. He's about to be martyred. And as he's taking on this, he looks up and he sees and he sees God and Jesus at the throne. He doesn't see him wondering what to do. And little interesting note there you can, for, for theological studies if you care. Everywhere else it talks about Jesus at the throne, he's seated. Touches church and he'll stand. That gets his attention more than anything else. Hebrews says we can approach the throne of God with boldness. That we can come to his kingdom. So that brings us to the question of Christmas. Who is Jesus to you? Is he wonderful? Is he your counselor? Is he your mighty God? Your everlasting father? Your prince of peace? Is that who he is to you? Because when we celebrate his birth, that's what we're celebrating. That's who he is to be for you and I. And on this Christmas day, it is good to remember on the day we celebrate his birth, whether it was actually this day or not, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I can say this 100%, that he was born. He did come for this purpose. And you and I have to make a decision. Is he those things to you? And if not, you can make him be those things to you. By simply acknowledging your place and saying, God, I'm a sinner. I'm not right with you, but I need to get my heart right. Be my counselor. Be my miracle worker. Wonderful God. Be my everlasting father. Be my mighty warrior. My mighty God. Be the prince of peace. Help me that I can serve you. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this morning, this beautiful Christmas morning, cold. We got our white Christmas. We got our snow. Just enough. We didn't get what Buffalo got, thank God. All right, we got our white Christmas, beautiful day. But the question really is, are you right with God? That's the question. Is he your counselor, your Is he wonderful? (coughs) Excuse me, the miracle worker. The fighter. The one who's helping you. The one who reconciled you to God. Is that who he is? If not, he can become that to you. It would be our privilege on Christmas morning to simply say a simple prayer with you. And invite you to a relationship with Jesus Christ personally. You're not joining a church. You're not just making a decision that you're going to make Jesus 
who he said he was and what he came to accomplish. If that's you this morning, you're not right with God, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand very quickly. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to get my heart right with God. We're not going to embarrass you. Wouldn't do that for anything. Just want to lead you in a simple prayer. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe he was those things to you at one time in your life, but you turned away. You became your own counselor. You fought your own battles. You lost the peace. You want to come back to Jesus. It's a simple prayer. Slip up your hand very quickly. Say, pray for me. I need Jesus. I want to get my heart right with God. Anyone at all on this Christmas morning. Changing the call then to Christians. It's nice to celebrate the birth of Jesus and it's important too and to have family and friends and holidays and we're studying the feasts in our Sunday school and you know, one thing that triggered me was the feast of Thanksgiving and the, the holiday season, as we call it, with Christmas and all that's involved there. Families and friends and, and the joyous time. But it's got to be more than that if we remember who Jesus is. This is what he came to accomplish, not just in December, not just into the first couple of weeks of January, but all throughout the year wonderful the miracle worker mighty god prince of peace everlasting father the counselor keeping those is the understanding this is who jesus is let's stand for just a moment we're going to open up these altars you want to talk to god on this christmas morning worship him we're going to sing that song jesus my savior him this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, we glorify you.